Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. 83% of the growth in our working age population are going to be immigrants and the children of immigrants. That is the future of our workforce. So how are we setting them up for success? Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. I have a great pleasure today to welcome two people to Good Company, and I really think this is definitional for what Good Company is about because, as I've said to you, to our listeners before, uh, I was trained by my parents with one lesson, and that is one is known by the company they keep. And I'm very pleased today to be able to keep company with the two folks I'm about to introduce you to. Upwardly Global is the premier workforce development organization in this country on a mission to eliminate unemployment, but to eliminate employment barriers for immigrant and refugee professionals and advance the inclusion of their skills in the U.S. economy. And personally, I have to say, I'm inspired to support Upwardly Global because I've seen many, many examples of the profound benefits when we include and promote bright and diverse minds within our organizations. I'm honored this year particularly to co-host Upwardly Global's annual Equity in Action Gala in October and raise awareness for this incredible organization. Today on Good Company, I'm thrilled and honored, really, to welcome Upwardly Global CEO and President Gina Krauss-Vilmer and board member and longtime friend Tony Concalvis to Good Company. Tony, Gina, for those of us who are not as familiar with Upwardly Global, what I'd love you to do is kind of kick us off and give us a, a, a view of what the organization does and how you're expanding that mission currently. You know, Upwardly Global is, is here because there are 2.2 million immigrants and refugees with professional backgrounds, but they are un or underemployed. So you should think about your rideshare driver who also happens to be a civil engineer from Venezuela. These are the people who are really trying to get back into their careers. And this population is really growing in the United States. Today, our country is accepting more and more newcomers, but we're also seeing more refugee crises around the world. Uh, we accepted 76,000 Afghans who, when the, with the fall of Kabul, many of them, 25% or more, are professionals. We're seeing a Ukraine crisis unfold in Europe, and we are accepting and getting more and more Ukrainians in the United States and 77% of those individuals are also professionals and work educated. So our goal is really to answer the question, how do we make sure that we're welcoming these individuals and how are we making sure that we're integrating them into our economy? I think what's really hard for people to understand is how can you be educated and yet poor? A lot of the people we have worked with have been homeless. It's incredible to imagine people living in homeless shelters and then studying at the same time to retake medical exams or relicense as engineers, or upskill in cybersecurity. I think what's incredible is, is that this story is so personal to so many of us. You know, Tony has a personal connection. I myself have a personal connection. My family immigrated from India. My dad had a degree and was an engineer. My mother had a master's degree in 
English literature from a prestigious school. And when my parents got divorced, my mom couldn't find a job at her skill level. So she ended up working three low wage jobs to put food on the table and to raise us. And, you know, now my, as any good Asian, my two sisters are doctors and another one is a nurse and I'm the outlier of the family, of course, but it's a really personal story. And I know, Tony, you also, you also have that personal journey. You know, my, my story is a little even closer to home. I mean, I, I landed at JFK when I was four years old uh, in 1976, and I had the great fortune of, you know, coming with my parents and integrating into a community that was ready to not only accept us, but help us integrate into the United, you know, the economy of the United States. My father was a construction worker. My mother was, you know, 21 years old and trying to figure out what to do because, you know, women didn't work in Portugal. Um, you know, when, when they came here and she ended up, you know, being a seamstress and cleaning houses for a living. Um, and my dad, you know, making driveways and building, you know, masonry walls and, you know, you know, running concrete. And he actually, it's pretty funny, uh, right, right, right around the block from where we live. He, as kids, he would bring us this little lake that's here that I now go and walk and sort of reflect, uh, on and do some calls, uh, when, when I'm home. And he would remind me that he he built all the curb, you know, in and around those sidewalks. But I reflect on that. And, you know, my parents and my in-laws paved the way for their children. Right. They they're the ones that roll the dice like we just benefited from it. And the struggle that I see with folks in the upload community that are coming into this country is finding that network and or that community to ensure that they retain their dignity. And that's the struggle, right, that we're seeing with so many refugees and immigrants coming into this country right now. We consider ourselves extremely fortunate. We're, we're, pro we're a product of chain migration. Um, we had a family, we had a community. My dad got work almost immediately and we were able to begin contributing very, very, very quickly. Tony, what I would also say is there was a sentiment in, in, the, in the country that you were welcomed. Yeah, we were absolutely welcomed. We never felt unwelcome. And I do believe that's because our community had been welcomed right, and had established themselves. Um, and it's different, um, I think, now, as, as you're alluding to. I mean, it's a sign of the times when political sort of affiliations aside, when, you know, 50 Venezuelan refugees get, you know, get shipped to Martha's Vineyard. But with that community in Martha's Vineyard did for those people is what our community and our family did yeah, for absolutely. us. Absolutely. And, and again, and what it was the domino of the great fortune that I've had and that I've been able to sort of pay forward. You know, getting to the to the good work that Upglow does and the importance of it, because we have the um, circumstance of less welcoming arms it makes the work that Upglow does ever more important and ever more critical because you don't have that community. I'm certain it's what my grandparents had, but that's why, you know, looking at the issue and knowing what something, what Upglow can do to help, because that is the welcoming arm community that now you don't necessarily have if you're those Venezuelans who were sent to Martha's Vineyard. You know, I'm often asked, like, why, you know, why did Upglow speak to me, right? Which gets to the point here of having this organization, you know, and first it was, 
just an opportunity to share my story. I had never shared my story, right? I often say that I tell people, I always told people that I immigrated here. I was an immigrant before it was cool to be an immigrant, <laughs> but I, but I never really had a platform or took advantage of the platforms that I had to tell my story to hopefully inspire. And so they gave me an opportunity to do that. Second, I'm a professional. I was in a, you know, I, I was in and am in a very large sector of our economy that always struggled to hire and to diversify. And I stepped back after seeing what Gina and the team at Upload were doing. They were essentially handing us on a silver platter a diverse, qualified employee base, right? Prospects, right? And then third, I mean, shit, it's just the right thing to do, right? right? To, to, start, to try to help people bridge and integrate into their new home. And so that's where I think the Upglow platform, you know, really started speaking to me. And, uh, you know, I've been at this five years with these guys and, you know, uh, it took a little while for them to convince me to join the board because I wanted to make sure that I could add value. Not quite sure if I'm adding value just yet. Oh, you are, Tony. Gina, as, as Tony's telling his story and you told your story, you know, this is like that old uh, lead into the show, The Naked City on, on television in the 50s. There's a thousand stories in The Naked City. This is just one of them. There's thousands of, not thou I want, maybe there are thousands, but there are, you know, dozens, multiple stories that you could tell. But I wonder if you could share with, you know, with our audience, a couple of stories, maybe one or two that are just indicative of the work you're doing and, and the challenge you're, you're, you're rising to. Yeah. We have so many stories. I mean, one story that I really love is there was um, a man from Uzbekistan who had arrived in New York City, and he had worked as a criminal analyst for the police department. And when he got here, he ended up being homeless on the streets. He would collect recycling, and he would spend 10 hours a day collecting that recycling and get about $20 for it a day. So that was obviously enough to, to make ends meet in terms of food, but it wasn't enough to, to rent a place. So he was living chronically on the street for a year. Then he heard about Upwardly Global. Um, he was using the public library system to access a computer and, and then ended up hanging out in our offices quite a bit. And he got upskilled into cybersecurity. And now he's working at Amazon. And that's somebody who's going from very, very little into a job for our job seekers is generally 68,000 a year. And the reason that's important is not just because of the numbers, it's because of that second chance. And so, you know, you know, when I'm hearing you both talk, that second chance is really important. And it's about how are we creating a community and opening up doors to allow people to have that second chance. The thing that I've always said is in business, as we're trying to grow our businesses respectively, I always say it's important to just get in the consideration set. You know, you're not, if you're not in the consideration set, you never get a chance to be considered, obviously. And, and, and you know, just that alone is so valuable and important in terms of the work you do and the work, I'd like to say we, because I feel involved in the organization now, uh, the work we do, but you do, obviously, to give people that chance to be in that consideration set. It's what I've always said about sports or entertainment. There are a lot of great baseball players, but the scout never gets to see them. They never get considered. There are a lot of great actors or actresses or directors or writers, but they never get their work, you know, seen by the right eyes. Helping the right eyes and 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 I, I kind of merging two questions together because what are the friction points when you, you know, that you hit when you get 
to get that consideration set. And yet, Tony, to your earlier point, so many organizations today are focusing on the need for diversity. I mean, it's right here at your for the asking. Here's here's diversity. Yeah, look, Michael, I, I, uh, I you know, when I was when I was at AT and T, I coined this term, you know, diverse diversity, right? Because you know, as you start thinking about diversity, it's very easy to very narrowly sort of define it as you know gender, for lack of a lack of a more elaborate example, but when you think about diversity, you want diversity in all corners of the office. And the beauty in, of this community, tapping this community as a resource is you get it all, right? You get folks that want to work, um, are skilled to work, can fill one of the 5.5 million open jobs in this country, uh, you know, open high-level positions, right, for skilled, you know, skilled and educated professionals. And you get the sort of rounding of the diversity um, element here as well. And look, when when Michael, when I introduce myself, when people ask me to sort of give my elevator speech, it really is an elevator speech, but it's largely the fact that I came to this country when I was four and my work ethic comes from the fact that I had to fight for everything I had. Gina, given that there's such demand for skilled workers, what am I missing? Why are companies not realizing that this this audience is there to tap into, and what can we do as a community? Of you know, I'm speaking to a large group of people here, but to as a community to to get the word out, to make sure people realize that this is a pool you should be you know swimming in. Because if you're having a hard time finding fish in another pool, and 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 these fish are the kind you want, i.e., diversity, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, what what am I missing? So I think there's a couple of things. One is, is that, you know, companies are not designed to recruit this talent. Part of that is, is because a, a recruiter is trained to throw away a CV if there's a gap in that CV. If you've been legitimately working as a rideshare driver or a hot dog stand vendor and you're trying to become and get back into your career as a data, data analyst, that's going to be a journey that you're going to struggle with because we're really working with employment systems that are not meant to understand or value this talent, nor are they meant to value the education systems of other countries, right? And so that could even be somebody who is trained you know, at the University of Lisbon or somebody who's trained at the University of Kabul. Um, it's not something that people can access just on a website to apply to organically. Uh, the other thing is, is 85% of jobs in this country are placed through social networks. So if you're an immigrant or a newcomer, you don't have access to social networks, nor do you have an entry point to be able to make connections with people that are at the professional level in the same way. And so that ends up being another barrier. So for people who want to do something, first, I'd say join us at our in-person gala in New York on October 12th. Uh, pay attention, pay attention, everybody who's listening. October twelfth in New York, Upglow. And uh, I said it at the beginning, right? That I get to be co-chairman of that event with with Tony. So uh, please uh, keep those cards and letters uh, flowing. Uh, keep going, Gina. I'm sorry. Yes, no, no. We love plugging it in. Um, so attend that in person, or if you can't, join us online on October twenty sixth. Uh, the second thing is, is become a mentor. You know, part of the challenge for people is not only accessing individuals in the professional market, but also understanding what is that professional market and what are those expectations in that industry look like? And how do I start unpacking and understanding that and then making connections with people in that? So mentorship can be huge. You, you bring up two things. I, I'm involved in a couple of important philanthropic organizations in addition to Upwardly Global. 
I happen to be fortunate to be on the board of directors of Big Brothers Big Sisters. We talk about mentorship. This is an area that I'm very, you know, focused on in my own life. Proud to say that, and it's something that I spend a fair amount of time on in re- in the real world in my in my day job. So I understand that importance, and and I, I always open to having that opportunity. And you're so right. It makes a difference in people's lives when you can take that mentorship role and and take it seriously. The other organization that I've become recently involved in is something called Project Healthy Minds. And Project Healthy Minds is focusing on the destigmatization of mental health issues. And as I hear you tell your story and Tony tell his story, and as Tony said, he may not always have told that story, there's so many of those stories, and, and we need people to know those stories. It's kind of like mental health issues. People don't talk about them. Hearing you know, your respective stories, you should be screaming it from the rooftops. It's, it's, it's prideful. And, and that's something else that I think people need to focus on. The person next door to you, the gentleman who's here um, taping this conversation for me is an immigrant. Uh, and, and, you know... Yeah, I'm not even going to look up at him because, you know, we'll get emotional, but. Well, that's the great thing about immigrants. And, and that's what I, you know, Tony, you always talk about this, like the grit and the resilience that comes from this community on top of all of those other wonderful things. And the idea that when we're thinking about diversity, equity and inclusion in companies, like the value add for a company is not the revenue. That's the downstream value add. The value add is in the yeah. people that we employ and the more people we employ with diverse experiences and the ability to really have resilience, creativity, di- different perspectives is only going to strengthen how we are competitive as companies. And in the media industry in particular, authenticity is critical in terms of thinking about storytelling. And so how do we integrate more of these stories so that we are showing the diversity of the authentic selves that we have in our community and what we can do to lift up each other as we're building out this community and recognizing that these people are not invisible, right? These people are visible and they have a story and these stories should be on a map. And not only should it be on a map, there's some urgency around this because we're looking at 2030 and you were asking about numbers, like 83% of the growth in our working age population are going to be immigrants and the children of immigrants. That is the future of our workforce. So how are we setting them up for success and how are we recognizing that they come to us in many different ways? And then that old narrative of you have to start from the bottom, you have to start from scratch. If you're lucky, your kids will make it, doesn't have to be the way we do it anymore. Gina, you said something that is so critical. And, you know, we have organizations like this. Just think of one that comes to mind in in the media and marketing industry. We have a group that the ANA, the Association of National Advertisers, created in partnership with uh, the Female Quotient, uh, and it's called See Her. It was about if you can't see her, you can't be her. Right. And and the other piece of it is, is if you don't see people at the mid and the high skill level in leadership, you're not going to see a journey for yourself. No, that's older. that's my point. And, so it's and it's, then the retention rate of a lot of other communities that get in at the entry level is only thirty percent, right? So we've got to change the the image that we have at all levels in our companies if we really want to continue to retain that great talent. No, it's it's it, it's the truth. Yeah, Michael, just as an example, like that was another reason why I felt it was important to use the platform that I had uh, to begin telling my story because. I was not 
sort of an MBA from a top 10 school, did not graduate, you know, top 10 in my class, did not go into consulting and then in or into banking. I worked and I worked hard and I probably worked a little harder because I didn't have that built in network and that built in community. But it's possible. Right. And so, um, you know, that is that has become a bit of my leadership journey and my leadership story, because there are people like me that didn't go to Harvard or didn't go to Princeton that can sit in these high level executive roles. The challenge, which is what Gina was pointing to and what my parents were so fortunate to have, my parents had a built in community, hence a built in network and built in mentors. A lot of these folks coming into this country these days do not have that built-in community. And you, as much as anyone, know how important the network is when you're looking for work, when you're looking to grow. I mean, a conversation over lunch can trigger an idea. When you don't have that, you need somebody to nurture it. That's one of the critical values of this organization is it sort of begins, it creates the community and it creates the non-existing network for these highly skilled individuals to sort of get a jump start. Well, uh, look, Tony, uh, on that note, I'm going to double down on my ask uh, of our listeners to please, please help support the important initiatives. We have the opportunity with this event coming up, but this is something we should be focused on every day of the year, not just on October 12th or 26th with the virtual and the live. I'm going to be there. We're, we're doubling down on our commitment to this initiative, but to this overall opportunity. Because I look at this as an employer and as a business person as an opportunity for me to yeah. be uh, doing what we need to do. You know this, uh, Tony, because we've been friends now for many years, and Gina's a new friend, but I've always been a believer if someone has the good fortune of doing well, they have the obligation to do good. And this is something where I, I'm able to help, and uh, I would ask all of our listeners to figure out a way that they're able to help. And yes, it's by donating money, but it's also by finding that person you can mentor, by by actually paying attention to, that, to those communities, to putting yourself in the shoes of that person who doesn't have the network, who didn't have the Ivy League opportunities. You know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with one thing. As we started to really address a couple of years ago, the, the, the necessity of diversity and the necessity of um, opportunity. I think it was Blackstone made a very, the uh, private equity firm made a very important statement. They said, look, if you look at the process of how somebody ends up working at a place like Blackstone, and this really goes to what you were talking about, Tony, they said, start the journey. That person probably went to a prep school, which was already a filter, that prep school probably led them to an Ivy school, which was another tighter filter. That Ivy school led them to an, an analyst job at a bank, tighter filter. By the time they then get the opportunity to be in a private equity place like Blackstone, the filter is this that you can't get through. If you didn't start at the front end, you're never getting into the middle. And that goes to the opportunity that we have to look and fish in different ponds as employers, as business people. And that's really what we need to do. Look, Michael, I think that's actually a great, it's a great way of sort of bringing to life the, 
the opportunity, I, I think, that we're seeing here to sort of grow that diversity of thought, right? Exactly. This happens to be a ripe population for that. And I step back and it's like, yeah, look, we want folks to go to the gala. We want folks to donate to this organization. It's a nonprofit. It's a grassroots nonprofit. You know, they don't run this organization on $100 million. Like this is, this is a, every dollar that comes in gets utilized um, and they, they scrape, um, you know, for every dollar that they can get, which is why I'm, I'm really, uh, well, I'm really focused on helping them. However, it's not just about the money. No, right. So, yes, we want to raise funds because this thing has to operate and it's got to scale. But we need mentors. Right. These people need mentors. They need a network. But I would say specific to this particular audience. And Gina knows that I'm extremely passionate about this. Help this com- this organization tell their story. Right. We are in the media business. I would like nothing more. Of course, we'd love people to buy tables at a gala, but I think getting a story, you know, sort of told on one of our, you know, one of our, you know, colleagues, many news stations and having Gina sort of articulate the state of the immigrant and refugee population in the world and in the country uh, as an expert, great opportunity. So that's an example or our marketing colleagues, right, that are out there helping this organization scale their message and get their message into more homes, right? And into more people. I'm going to end on this note. Everybody yeah. has the ability to become a mentor. Everybody has the ability to, to, to help one in need. And that, that's really what we're saying here. Yeah, look, exactly. I'll, um, uh, I had a, uh, a couple that came to the gala, I think three or four years ago, uh, her name was Carly, sent me an email the day after. And she's like, how, how can I get involved? And so, of course, like we give her a list of all the things. And, you know, some of it was quite extravagant, right? You can do this, you can do this. She's like, how about I just look at resumes and like help people tweak resumes because I don't have time to do X, Y, or Z. That is more valuable than a thousand, two, three, four, five thousand dollar donation, right? Yeah, and so it's, it's, it can be that small. And like I said, like, I think we've got a storytelling opportunity uh, in this org. We're trying to figure out, you know, what you know, what what the longer term strategy is, and sort of how to how to articulate what we do in a bit more of a crisper sort of fashion. You know, arguably, I step back and I go, we're probably we're a website and a content company that does networking. So I'm working through that, Gina. We'll 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 talk through that stuff in our, our next board meeting. But any, you know, back to like the non-monetary sort of side of this that media, the media industry can specifically sort of do for this org. It's in and around that, right? Building the narrative and scaling the narrative and tapping on Gina as an expert. Yeah. And I'll add to that, which is, you know, when people meet our community, they're floored, right? They they are the smartest person in the room. They put us to shame. Um, and, and, you know, we have this wonderful woman, she's an Afghan surgeon, she was working um, at a hospital and a professor. She was the first female professor at her university. And she's working in New York City now. It took her a year um, of hustling. And we've just been able to help place her in a clinical research role at New York Presbyterian Hospital. Um, yeah. We have these wonderful Afghan pilots, uh, Shapur, who's living in Arizona, taking care of his eight family members. He flew wing to wing with our uh, Air Force in Afghanistan for missions. And he's 
a dispatcher, but he wants to get back in the air, right? And so when you meet these people and you understand their journeys and you start to realize that there are systemic barriers that hold them back, you start to question yourself, like, man, why does this exist? Like, it's crazy that somebody like this should not be working in a hospital. A woman in, from Afghanistan who's fought tooth and nail to access her education and said she actually wanted to be a surgeon where she saw no woman being a surgeon in her life, right? Those people deserve better. And I think we can do better. A thousand percent. Gina, Tony, I could keep going for hours, but I can't thank you enough. And I know as I have the good fortune of having this audience hopefully listen to this and learn, there could be some good results here and, and I'm counting on it. And I want to thank you just for spending this time, but uh, as well for the privilege of getting involved in this amazing organization. So I want to thank you both. Yeah. And Michael, on behalf of Upwardly Global, Gina and her team and the board, uh, I want to thank you for uh, so openly jumping into this. You're a great friend, Tony and Gina, uh, a new friend, but I, I've got a feeling it's going to be a long-term. Uh, I am hoping for a long-term relationship, Michael. This has been amazing. Thank you. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. 